Hey guys, welcome to the MOV podcast by Gutch. Uh, this is episode number 12 and uh, this is a short one. We have just 30 minutes for this one. Uh, we have a very special guest today. Uh, joining us uh, on this episode is uh, the CMO of Lessonly. Uh, that is Kyle Lacey. Please uh, welcome Kyle onto the podcast. Hey, thank you. It's good to be here. Hey. How are you doing, Kyle? I I I, I just want to uh, first of all thank you for making time and and coming on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Uh, so, uh, without uh, a lot of uh, wastage of time on on small talk, I would rather jump into the questions. Sure. Uh, there, there's so much that I want to ask you, and there's so little time. Uh, so, uh, we'll start uh, with. uh first trying to understand uh, your perspective as a cmo of lessonly uh like what what how do you approach your uh job at lessonly like what 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 is your perspective as a cmo of a, of a startup like lessonly um i th- i think that the the most there's a couple things the most important part is that marketing should deliver revenue Um I think a lot of software marketers talk about influence and pipeline generated but I believe that marketing at a startup should be revenue focused to begin with. On top of that, I think it's also important that the experience is primary when it comes to prospect or customer. Um you know the ex- the way that I frame it is that the experience that somebody's having with your brand whether we're StreamYard experience or Lessonly experience um it's the only thing that makes you relevant and marketing marketing is always at the front line of that experience and that's what's right. important right i think i think i've heard this point uh, way too many times i think uh, every guest uh, preaches the same thing that marketing and uh, sales that is revenue have to be like tied at the hip uh, and and uh, there's no way uh, that you could be doing things that don't contribute to the growth of the company i mean yes there are things that cannot be measured but you know at some point that uh, these are contributing to the uh, brand to uh, to sort of like the perception of the brand right yeah yeah absolutely and brand and if you are building a revenue stream you're going to have the ability as a marketing leader to go to the board and say i need x amount of money for a brand campaign and i think that's also very important yeah how how important do you see the role of videos in marketing today uh because i mean traditionally marketing did not have a lot of videos in the mix uh it was it was more of ppc and whatever content like uh, long form text images are uh, today uh like the consumption of video has gone uh, really uh, up by a lot of notches and then also uh because of the new normal uh, that we are going through i think a lot of our interactions are also on video right uh, so so all our communication is moving towards video how how important do you see video as uh, in your marketing mix uh it's very important and i think there's i think there's multiple different versions as you said right you've got the you've got the customer videos that are a little bit more high end of the customer talking about doing business with you you got the lower end versions of that of people taking video of themselves like selfie videos putting them on LinkedIn you've also have video used in outbound sales like our our outbound sales team uses um video all the time when they're doing prospecting and then you've got just the stuff like this right you've got the the human i think it's a very 
I think it's been, I think it's sped up because of the pandemic and Zoom and people StreamYard, people, people realizing that it's just much easier to do this than they thought it was before. So you have a lot more video coming out, but I think you've got the you've got the high end video that I still think is important when it comes to like demos and customer videos, but you also have the low end um, of like people just creating content themselves. And I, I think all of them are important when it comes to brand development. Correct. I, I want to pick up a couple of those points that you said and uh, dig a little deeper into it. Uh, one is sales enablement and second is outbound sales. Uh, how do you see uh, videos, uh, one, uh, impact sales enablement and then our, what, what kind of role does a video play today in outbound sales? Yeah, well, at least at least on the, let's say, top of funnel side, so outbound sales, you know, we use a demo video with, uh, at our form. You know, if you request a demo, you get a demo video right up front. That's been very successful for us. Um, reps, SDRs or BDRs personalizing video to be sent, whether that's on LinkedIn or an email or whatever, has been very valuable. I think seeing somebody instead of it just being email content is very important. On the sales enablement side, it's a great way to practice, right? So if you have, I mean, we have we have video functionality built within Lessonly where you can practice your pitch via video. And so you've got, you can, you know, you can see somebody's mannerisms. You can give feedback on how they're approaching their pitch via video. Um, and then you've got enablement on products and stuff like that, where, where screenshots and video, I mean, it's just very important overall that video is part of both strategies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I also want to uh, ask you one another question, which uh, again has been one of your, uh, like I found this keyword uh, in, in your LinkedIn profile when I was uh, uh, skimming through it, uh, is uh, one of your expertise is in working towards speaking demo interest. Uh, this is such a important metric for a lot of B2B SaaS companies uh, where somebody uh, signs up or shows interest in the product. Uh, how do you see videos directly uh, leading to uh, something that will generate more uh, demo interest? Well, I, I think that I think that any the 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 raising of the hand to say I would like a demo is a visual cue, right? You're saying I would like to see the product. So the way that we think about it, and this could always be done better. I think everybody can do it better. Is you're showing the product via video as much as you can so that they get a flavor of what they're going to experience. Because for us, I want to prime that pump as much as I can before that lead gets to the rep, to the AE, or if you're a product led company, you know, before they start using the product, right. And making sure that you retain those people um, that are signing up. Yeah. I think, I think another important point that I just want to bring up because you just say that uh, is from my uh, previous episode with uh, uh, Matt Fleming from uh, LoadSmart. Uh, mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, uh, one interesting point that the prospect has already made up their mind uh, way before they do the sign up for the demo. Uh, then, I, I mean, I also want to understand how you look at uh, the customer's journey because he's possibly uh, evaluated your competitors. He's made up uh, their mind or he or she has made up their mind uh, in order to like sign up for a demo uh, because the consideration uh, of, of all your com competitors, the evaluation has already happened. So how do you influence somebody at that stage? How do you influence them at the stage of the demo sign up? 
Is that what you're Before. asking? So, so when they're making oh, that, yeah. they have to come to uh, sign up on your page. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's tons of ways. There's like, you know, webinar, all the content portals, right? Video, webinars, content that they can read on the site. We got rid of most of our forms on our website. So it's only a demo form. Um, so all the, all the content's open. They're searching. You've got G2, Captera, other customer review sites. You've got analyst reports. There's a ton of stuff to help prime that pump. But I think the main thing is just making sure you get as many customers talking about you as possible. Do it via video or a recommendation site like G2 or Captera. Yeah, awesome. Uh, I want to take a step back uh, uh, and, and take you back to uh, your journey uh, in your career, the start of your career. Yeah. You spent quite some time uh, with uh, being at a VC firm, leading marketing for a uh, private venture uh, uh, firm, right? Um, again, I want to know uh, as the VP of marketing for OneView, uh, like what's your perspective towards uh, venture capitalist firms in general benefiting from videos? Because most of them uh, are used to uh, having closed door sessions and 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 into event marketing and and things like that. I mean, some of them uh, like the best. VCs in the world, they own uh, good IPs like like a very good podcast uh, that some of your part of their partners yeah. do, uh, and and I want to see because most of them, I mean, vast majority of them are not using videos. What do you think? Uh, how can a VC firm use videos for their benefit? I mean, I just think, again, it's the same reason why a customer, like a a company, would you're showing the human element outside of just pictures, right? I think that people. I think people want to know partners. I think that people want to know investment, you know, people who are going to make investments in their company. And right now it's so important because there's so much money out there that VC firms have to compete unless you are the chosen few like Andreessen Horowitz or any of the big ones, right? Um, where, where your portfolio is what leads, right? Everything else, it's like, you've got to make a name for yourself outside of just the investment strategy. So I think just video is one portion of that that's important. It shows the human element of the company. Yeah, you actually uh, hit the nail on the head when you say that, okay, there's, there, there used to be competition for entrepreneurs looking to raise money uh, yeah. because there were limited number of VCs long time back. And then uh, you knew that, okay, that's going to be a bloodbath for the founders. Uh, yeah. But today I think uh, there, there are a lot more VCs out there uh, with money uh, and and you have the ability to choose and pick whom do you want to partner with, right? Uh, that said, uh, how do you think VCs uh, have to sell themselves in today's world, right? Uh, thinking of it like, uh, like see, for a brand, we, we talk about uh, the outcomes of, of using our product, right? Uh, you, mm-hmm. you use this product to do so many things. Or some of those average marketers, they, they happen to talk about, hey, we have this feature, we have this technology, uh, our, our products are secure using this kind of uh, uh, technology, whatever. And and the better marketers out there talk about outcomes. What do you think uh, uh, the VCs should talk about? I mean, it's it's how you support the founders. I mean, you you as a co-founder, you want, you want a VC firm that sits on your board that's going to tell you what they think you should do because they've had experience doing it. Not because they've invested in a ton of companies. It's because they're, they were operators in the past. And 
you know, that, that, but that's not, if you think about it, it's not nef- necessarily differentiating you anymore, honestly, because every VC firm can say they have operators. So it's really about what, you know, what I've found, especially working at OpenView is that, is that focus is actually primary, right? OpenView focuses on Series B investments. They focus on B2B software companies and they focus on product-led growth companies like Calendly and Datadog, right? So the focus allows you to, to, to build a product market fit for the VC firm. And that just makes it so much easier when it comes to messaging, positioning, and targeting because you understand who, who you're talking to and how and why they want to talk to you. Right. Uh, this is one part of it. Like when you are handling uh, the brand for a VC firm, this is how you look at it. Uh, but there's also the other angle where the VC is also uh, supporting the founders uh, yeah. and and leading them. Uh, as as somebody who's already good at marketing, I think uh, a few tech founders who are not so adept at uh, these things, they look up to uh, their partners to help them and guide them in these things. Whether it is uh, in terms of strategizing what uh, what kind of budgets uh, allocations have to be done or uh, the kind of partners that you should work with, whether it's a creative agency or a production house or uh, like hiring in-house talent, etc. A lot of things that they look up to. Uh, what do you think, uh, what, what kind of role does uh, the VC uh, have in today's uh, date uh, in, in such a thing? And then are, are VCs actually, to the second part of my question, are VCs actually doing a very good job at, at advising the portfolio companies in marketing in special? I mean, it, it definitely depends on the VC firm. Some VC firms are primary investments and their board seat is where they exhibit their support, right? There's company, you know, VC firms like OpenView, First Round, Andreessen Horowitz, they have, they have support teams that are there to support the founders and the companies. So I think VCs, OpenView was one of the first to do it. But I think a lot more have said, okay, this makes more sense to me. If I have a portfolio company that I just put 10 million US in, right? And they need help recruiting a CMO, I, I'm going to have the recruiters working in-house at the firm to help recruit that talent. Um, so I just, I think it's very important that VCs are, are developing that. But there's also VC firms that don't have that because they're smaller. And, and that's fine as well. Just you as a founder and an operator need to decide what fits best for what you need. Okay. Uh, I, I'd also like to flip the question and, and say that, okay, there are a lot of times when the founding team uh, has a very strong marketing talent uh, within themselves. Uh, but it ha- so happens that uh, when you raise money from a, uh, from a venture capitalist, the partner on, on board often says that, okay, uh, you're going to be using... Uh, this money for uh, product development, for example, uh, you're not going to be spending a lot of this in marketing. I mean, some of them because they uh, are, I mean, uh, they're reserved uh, in in the way they they want the founders to spend their money. Uh, what what is typically uh, something that a team uh, uh, who's who wants to spend some of the money in marketing uh, uh, have to do to convince the partner to uh, like be on on board with that plan? Well, first, first, I'd caution um, bringing on partners that will do that, that won't be open-minded, number one. But outside of that, I'd say that um, the best thing that I've seen and done is to say, here's the investment that I need. You know, you, you write a, you do a forecast, basically. Here's the investment I need. 
here based off of historical data, here's what I think I can produce from a lead gen perspective. And here's what we could close if a, in a six month time frame or, or 12 months, depending on how long your sales cycle is. If you haven't done that, then the, the partner can say, I told you so. But you can, I mean, I would love to see, I'm sure there, you know, I'm going to get, we'll probably get a ton of content, but like you're wrong, Kyle, but I'd love to see a software company that succeeded that didn't have marketing because it's, <laughs> it's fundamental to growing a business. And if you can't fit, you know, engineering is important and it's probably the first thing that you should do always. Right. And, and if you're product led engineering is even more important and product marketing is more important, but I, a messaging and positioning and the culture like that is built from the very beginning and needs to be stoked and needs to be supported and you can't scale a company without it. Yeah, of course. I, th- I think you have an amazing product and you keep it uh, hidden in your closet. I don't think so. That's going to work out, right? No, no, no. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you have to put it in front of the right people uh, for them to know how valuable your product is. Uh, like I, I will again take you a slightly uh, uh, even a step back in your career uh, while uh, you were at uh, Exact Target uh, heading uh, content marketing, right? For them, yeah. Uh, I tell me uh, what was the difference between uh, that role and this role? To, I mean, the, I, I'm assuming that they did an IPO. They hit uh, uh, like they, they were acquired as well. Uh, like I, I want to know, uh, like what is the difference between working uh, in in a small brand as a marketer and uh, heading like marketing for a large brand? What 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 kind of a difference, uh, like in the mindset you need as a marketer to handle both these things? Yeah, and and I, you know, to be clear on the exact target side, the year I joined, I'm pretty sure we hired about 400 people that year. So I wasn't like I was. I was bottom of the barrel just running content marketing. There are plenty of other people running marketing, right? Like my my boss, Daniel and Candela, uh, who's now CMO at Conga. My boss, Jeff Wars, who's now CMO at Jobvite. He was CMO at Yext. Like that, you, there is so much that goes into it. But the one main thing is support. So there's two things. Support and um communication is very different. In a in an org like at Exact Target, we were producing research content and video for seven countries in four different languages. And so you just were communicating constantly with every marketing manager from Brazil to Germany to Japan. And then you were trying to figure out budgets and making sure we were running consumer research in each city, in each country. Um, so the, 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 the amount of communication that you have to do at a company that large you know, there was two, 2,500, almost 3,000 employees is very different from what it is at Lessonly where we have 170 employees, right? Where I, you know, I, I built the plan at exact target and then I had to get approval through four or five different people. Um, here, I, I build the plan and I ask our CEO. And most of the time, I don't have to ask our CEO, right? I just do it. So, and resources, right? I mean, we just had way, you know, exact target was over 200 million in revenue. We had way more resources to do what we wanted to do um, than I do at Lessonly. But still, I, I have plenty to to deal with at Lessonly as well. 
yeah i i, I think there's there's a trade off like the, both of them have like their own pros and cons where w- one side you have a lot more uh, like budget uh, to spend and and support in terms of more colleagues but then also brings in a lot more friction to get things done uh, yeah. at a large enterprise uh i think uh, talking about that uh, exact target got acquired and you happen to join uh, salesforce uh, to take care of their marketing uh i want to know uh, see everybody knows salesforce right why does a salesforce have to do a lot of marketing like why do you think like even even that this is a b2b question I, i'd also like to throw it out in open and i want you to i want to hear what you have to say about it is i i see google advertising on television commercials in india I mean, everybody knows Google. If you open your uh, browser, the f- default search browser is Google. They're saying still, they're advertising, saying that, hey, do your searches powered by Google. I mean, why? Why do big brands who everybody knows about still have to do marketing? Well, I, I'd say that I would argue that Google doesn't have huge amounts of penetration in India, do they? I mean, Absolutely. isn't it still? There is no competition. If you know internet, yeah. then you know Google. That's for sure. Okay. So I, I'd say there's, there's. I mean, I could spend an hour just talking about this, but there are there are certain cases to do it. Like, like, like most of most of the advertising I see for Google or Uber here in the states is mostly PR, like talking about the pandemic and making sure you stay healthy and all that stuff. Like, it's it's very positive spins on PR. Um, for Salesforce, uh, I mean, all of them. You want to you want to stay the market leader, right? And you want to continue staying the market leader. And when you have the ability to produce great marketing because you have the cash to do it and you have the talent to do it, then you want to continue doing it. And um, Salesforce does a great job. I mean, their marketing is on point. It always has been. Um, but I, I do think that. There's different. There's different cases for every single one. I mean, you could talk about. I would argue that there's 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 different business units within Salesforce that needs the marketing because people don't know that Salesforce has X product, or they want to sell it into the base or whatever for expansion revenue. Um, but for people like Google, they're <laughs> they're just trying to get the word out. Hey, don't forget about us, which we never will. But it's mostly just to to get the name out to the to the small set of people that might not know about them. Absolutely. Uh, I think I think that, that you mentioned that Salesforce does a lot of these things. I would like to uh, talk about if you if you could just throw some light on the kind of initiatives that uh, Salesforce undertakes uh, in order to like generate like I, I've heard that uh, they they generate content which uh, I mean is linked to like millions of dollars worth of pipeline, right? Uh, how how does that happen? Like what kind of initiatives, typical initiatives that uh, somebody like Salesforce uh, does? And and is there, uh, how, how much contribution is uh, in video, right, to that mix? Well, I think I think there's, if you talk about thought leadership, there's, there's two avenues that I'm familiar with. They do a lot more, but for me, it is their state of reports, state of sales, state of service, state of marketing, uh, which which originated at Exact Target. That was what my team was doing: the state of email marketing, the state of social media, that type of stuff. That that is thought leadership because journalists will write about it, right? They'll write about that stuff. And then on the other side, it, the other side is Dreamforce, yeah. their their user conference. So if you want to talk about video, the stuff that they've rolled out after COVID hit here in the states 
has been spectacular. Their live events, um, they couldn't have done it any better in my opinion. And all of that's video based. And they, I remember when I was at Salesforce, they would hire Hollywood directors to do their customer videos because it's, it's entertainment. It's entertainment and they were beautiful and they're still beautiful videos. They're so good at it. Yeah. I, I think, I think you need that kind of a vision to see through uh, that. I mean, people are on, I mean, a lot of people create like really serious content in B2B and, and they think that, Hey, we are a business. We are like supposed to talk this way. We're supposed to behave in a certain way. Uh, and they end up forgetting like uh, you eventually putting that out on social media. What is social media? People come there uh, to have fun. People come there to get uh, entertained and they don't come there to get sold to. So that is something which I really find amusing that people don't even understand why it's equally important to create more interesting content, even though you're in a B2B. Uh, space. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and, and I think that, um, I've heard it said that every business is an entertainment business and that's so true. And if you can't entertain, it's going to be hard and set, you know, some of these large companies like Salesforce, Oracle, they are good at it, but they need, they need to evolve and they, and they will Salesforce will evolve. We've seen it happen about six times now. They're not going to, they're not going to die off, but I, they, I, I 100% agree with you for sure. Uh, I think we're uh, almost about to come to an end to the podcast. I just want to quickly run through a couple of questions. Uh, uh, one is uh, you as a uh, as as a person. What kind of goals are you setting for yourself uh, to uh, to like contribute to the business that you're a part of right now um, in terms of being the CMO? And secondly, if you could uh, give three actionable insights for uh, people who are listening, uh, people who want to be a CMO. I mean, you've seen the uh, grind. You've come from uh, bottom of the food chain to uh, becoming a, a leader of the uh, uh, entire vertical. Uh, what do you think are three actionable insights for somebody that you would uh, like to give out? So these are two questions. So, so repeat the first question for me. The first question is, I want to know what kind of goals you've set for yourself and lesson B in, in marketing for yeah. the remainder of 2020 and to 2021. So, I mean, for the team, we always have our our revenue demand gen goals. Like those are stuff that we always talk about. For me personally, I am very, very, very focused on mental health and the support of my team and making sure that as, you know, in Indiana, as we move into winter, uh, it get it could get a little bit gloomy, and as we're all still quarantined, I, I think just just investing and pour and pouring into my team to make sure they understand that we're here, that we're supporting them. I think is very important and something that I've focused on quite a bit. Um, and that's that's primary for me. We can set goals all day long, but if my team my if my team is not in it, like they're they're mentally not there because they're depressed or they're having problems or whatever, we're screwed. Right. So the the second question on tips, tips to be a CMO, um, I think the first thing is, is practice proactivity constantly. Um, what what made me good at my job at Exact Target was I I was I was proactive and I acted. I, I wasn't necessarily afraid of what would happen if I were to make some choices. So that allowed me to learn. Uh, 
and and grow into my profession. The second thing is practice autonomy. Learn how to self-govern yourself. Learn how to make sure that you can survive on your own and you're not constantly managing up, right? You're not constantly asking questions and trying to figure out how to do things. Just go do them. Uh, and the third thing is just uh, develop a community of people that support you. Um, I got very lucky that the people that I worked with at Exact Target are still friends today and still support each other. And also, I'm a part of a community called Revenue Collective. That's 3,000 revenue leaders across the world. And we support each other daily. And so when I, whenever my time at Lesson Lee's up, because it will come at some point, that is the first place I'm going is my community saying, hey, I think I'm ready. What do you guys think? And the people that don't have that support system, it's very, very hard to transition and change and grow in your career because you're trying to do it on your own. So those are my three. Awesome. Uh, I think that brings us uh, to the end of the episode. Uh, I'd really like to thank you from the bottom of my heart to make time out yeah. uh, from you to like come join us for this conversation. Uh, and, and I hope you and your family are staying safe in this uh, time. I think uh, this is uh, something that uh, everybody says, but I really mean it. Uh, uh, and, and since you just told me about uh, the region that you're from, I think the kind of state that uh, uh, is is right now. Uh, I hope uh, we all make through and then uh, yeah. we see a, a better sunshine on the other side. Right? We will. That, you too, man. I'm, it's very appreciative. Thank you. Super. Thank you so much. Uh, and I really appreciate that. I, so signing off for this episode and hopefully just, uh, we'll be back with a new episode and a new guest very soon.